Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch, and this is episode 79 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie, selected specifically by our guest, that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. Hope everyone's having a great week out there. Gonna keep the intro short, because I have suddenly developed a coughing fit. So rather than cough in your ears, I'm just going to go ahead and get into the movie discussion. As I mentioned on Monday's episode this week, we are looking at another Kids on Bikes movie, uh, The Summer of 84, and this was picked by Soup. Uh, He is the uh, head honcho at the Nazaria audio drama, uh, which is available both on YouTube and in podcast form. I highly recommend checking it out. It is a good story, and I'm really looking forward to season two coming up, not only because I'm joining the cast, but also just because I've seen the scripts, and they're a lot of fun. But Soup picked uh, Summer of 84 uh, for us to talk about this week. We have a great conversation about this and, of course, our usual tangents and such. But uh, all in all, this this is a great discussion. It was great to chat with him. Uh, All of our correspondence up till now has just been kind of via text. So it was great to be able to sit down and put a voice with the name. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. Here we go with Summer of 84 from 2018. All right, well, we'll get into the movie in a minute, but I, I've got to ask you, since you know I've, I've been working with you for a couple of months now, I've got to ask you for some background on Nazaria. Oh, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I can go for hours. <laughs> yeah, well, we don't want to go for hours, but we do. I, I, I would like to get some like when I, I know it's so it's it's a dramatization based on a real campaign that you and your friends played. Yes. How, how long ago was that? How long did it last? That kind of thing. The campaign is still going. We're ah. actually, we've actually got a sequel campaign we're working on right now that is from the perspective of NPCs that are inf- introduced in book two. Well, technically they're PCs now. They're introduced as NPCs. Now they're the player characters. Right. To be completely honest, I started on Nazaria when I was 13. And I burned through so many groups. Well, I I say so many groups. It was the same group. I want to say eight times. And I finally just got a different group and they, they were like, Oh yeah, this is, I love this. I'm going to do some with it. And I just, I was like, like tears running down my face. Thank you so much. I've worked so hard on it. <laughs> now, was it always your intention to then turn it into a dramatization of the campaign or is that just something that came later? For when I when I was back in high school, I listened to a bunch of uh, creepy pastas, right? And I was gonna just you know narrate the sessions and stuff like that and do like a story, and then I just kind of scrapped that. I had nothing. I I was terrible at audio engineering, and then like two years later, when I was at listening to Audible, I found some Lovecraft audio dramas, mm-hmm. and I loved them so much. And I was like, I want to do this. And then I uh, when I got my new group, I was like, hey guys you want to do this like an audio drama two of them were good with it one of them wasn't long story but eventually i just you know went with it and made the uh the audio drama out of it yeah well and i've had guests on before who do real play podcasts and they think the idea of turning that into a drama uh sounds like a nightmare and you and i actually talked about that after they were on the show that that the idea of doing a real play podcast kind of sounds like a nightmare too yeah, it sounds like a nightmare to me because uh, my, my games are such an absolute mess. It's not even funny. Like we have a character who's, uh, who, whose parents are dead and we spent about 30 minutes making fun of the character out of character about his <laughs> dead parents. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't exactly keep the emotional tone that you might want, I guess. I did have him crying at the end of the session, though, so I had that, that going for me. Well, and uh, you know the the show is on break right now, but I've gotten to to look at some of the season two uh, scripts, of course. And I, I told you, you know, it's, there were definitely tears reading some of the script. There was definitely laughter reading some of the script. So I think, uh, at least from a script standpoint, uh, you've got a good thing going. Thank you, thank you. I uh, it it's it's weird. Um, the season finale of two was written before any of season two because it's a flashback episode. Right. And I have I have so much pride that I have made four people cry with that script. 
it's <laughs> I'm I'm like yes I know it's it's so sad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, moving out out of Nasari, now you you did kind of mention you started that when you were thirteen. Um, which wasn't as long ago for you as it was for me. I, I definitely don't want you to out yourself, but do you want to give my listeners kind of a, a decade at least that you fall in? Oh, I can, I can tell you, I turned 22 yesterday. Like, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, which makes the movie that we're going to talk about today really interesting from from that perspective of you know i was alive in the summer of 84 and you were not so there's there's definitely (laughs) some elements there that we can talk about as we get into the actual movie what what kind of movies do you like because when i introduced the the kids on bikes uh gaming podcast that is still forthcoming as of this recording um that that intrigued you and i think that that was part of why you picked the movie you did but in general what kind of movies do you like what's your jam as far as films go I'm I love horror movies. I mean, I can look at my horror shelf right now. I have more horror movies than I do any other genre like put together all my other movies put together. I have about 10 more horror movies at any given time. Most of them are bad. Most of them are pretty bad, but I keep them. (laughs) I keep them because they've got some sort of connection to me. Now, what do you consider a bad horror movie? It's just not good. Like, okay, it's kind of a double edged sword because there are movies that I absolutely love. They're not good horror movies. They're good movies, but they are not scary. They're not frightening in any way. But I, I like them. I really love them. Um, trying to think of one that like I can I can say that like sticks out. Crimson Peak. If you've ever seen that one by Guillermo del Toro, I, I that's with Tom Hiddleston, right? Yes. Yeah, I have not seen it, but it's been on my radar because I've heard exactly that. It's not a great horror movie, which is what it was advertised as. It's not a very good horror movie. It's not scary. It does have, I mean, it's Guillermo del Toro. It's got great creature design, but it's, there's, it's not scary. I think the scariest thing about it is probably, I don't want to spoil it for you, but a a stupid joke. That's, that's (laughs) that's all I can do. Okay. A a scene where they talk about how uh, girly Tom Hiddleston's hands are. That's, that's probably because it's so embarrassing. But. All right. By by contrast, what are some of your favorite horror movies? What what tops the genre for you? Tops the genre for me. I gotta say, I've got there's a movie that has scared the hell out of me called Antichrist that I, I do not like the movie, but it is it scared the absolute hell out of me. Probably because I watched it when I was 14 in my class. <laughs> like I was in a classroom with one of my friends with a tablet, and we were watching it on Netflix, and it's oh god, it's it. <laughs> it scared the absolute hell. And it's not a great movie, but it's it's scary. Um, Sinister is one of my be- best all around horror movies. Uh, the older I get, the less I like it. But, you know, it's it's a it's probably the first, you know, scary, scary movie. I watched it with my brother when I was like 13 and it's got a bunch of good memories to it. So it's always going to be in my top <sighs> woman in black with Daniel Radcliffe. Have you seen that one? OK, yeah. That was the first horror movie I ever watched. I was nine years old. Scared me so bad I couldn't sleep for two weeks. It's not that scary in hindsight. It's not, <laughs> but it's <laughs> it, it's not that scary. I remember the print ad for that, um, it, which scared the hell out of me because it looks like just this mundane image, but like the the woman is hidden in the print image, and once you see it, you can't unsee it. But once you see it, it it definitely is like. They they somehow managed to manifest a jump scare in a print ad, you know. <laughs> so remember, there's an ebook for um, Mask of the Red Death by Edgar Allan Poe mm-hmm. that has a jump scare in it. Scared the absolute hell out of me. It's because it's, you know, like the last page. It's this it's the Mask of the Red Death and it just pops up and you hear a scream. And I'm like, that's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Before we get into the movie, the podcast is called Have Not Seen This. We talk about movies we're surprised people have not seen. What are your have not seen this movies? What are movies that you have not seen that people, you know, give you a hard time about? There's a movie I actively refuse to see because people give me such a hard time time about it. It's Forrest Gump. (laughs) I have I have had that movie on my, you know, like, oh, I'm going to watch that. Like back when it was on Netflix, when you know, watch instantly was a thing. I had it on my queue, like getting it as a DVD. And people were like, you ain't seen Forrest Gump. 
what, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, right, moving it down four more. Not going to watch it yet. There we go. <laughs> I, I personally love Forrest Gump, but I know many people out there who have changed their minds about it over the years. I mean, like it was, a, it was a lauded film the year it came out. And I know a lot of people who have changed their minds about it over time. So I, I, I don't know that you'll get as hard a time about that anymore, but I'll, I'll make sure I give you a hard time about that in the future. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll watch it sometime in the next six or seven years. Um, <laughs> Maybe, but uh, the one that sticks out to me is one that I technically have seen, but I was in diapers. And so I've never rewatched it. Jurassic Park. Oh, man. I, I had this Jurassic Park video game on Windows 98 when I was a kid. It was an old computer for the time, <laughs> but it was this Jurassic Park video game. Loved it. Played it all the time. Couldn't mess with it. It was scary. Dinosaurs are scary. Right. <laughs> so I couldn't I couldn't watch the movie. And it's one of those things where it's, you know, I know everything that happens in the movie, right. so I just haven't sat down and watched it yet. It's so good still. I I, I mean, the first one, the rest of them are, are not, I mean, they're, they can be somewhat guilty pleasures, but the first one I still, I still watch and am convinced that they did not create CG for this, that they found an island somewhere with dinosaurs on it. I have seen Jurassic Park 2. That's kind of a guilty admittance one time. I have seen Jurassic Park 2. <laughs> You're, it, it, it's not very good. <laughs> it's, the, it's the worst of the original trilogy, if you ask me. Mm. Um, but yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and get into the movie. Uh, you picked this week Summer of 84 from 2018, written by Matt Leslie and Stephen J. Smith, directed by Francois Simard, Anouk Wissel, and Johan Carl Wissel, starring Graham Vercheri, Judah Lewis, Caleb Emery, Corey Grunter Andrew, Tierra Scovbite, and Rich Summer. The sheriff's office reports they're likely looking for a white male. Possibly be this exciting. Incoming titties. 12 o'clock. Guys, Nikki Keshuba. Scientifically the perfect woman. Huh. Better view of my room than I thought. Silly dreams. Emergency meeting. Treehouse. Now. Mackie is the Kate May Slayer. Mackie's a cop with a sick reputation. Wasn't counting on us. gonna be fine now go you're gonna get caught either by Mackie or your dad I know I'm right about it that doesn't prove anything Are you with me I don't want anything bad to happen to you we're trying to save people yeah well you're not guys at the station are gonna love this <laughs> just let it go sorry again that you're grounded let's see if I can get you out of this house no hard feelings you were wrong you were wrong about everything Serial killers live next door to somebody. I cannot believe I got through those names without uh, stumbling. I'm really <laughs> proud of you, right? <laughs> I probably mispronounced <laughs> half of them, but uh, uh, all right. So we, we always start off with how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? How do you how do you get someone who's not seen this movie to want to see it? It's funny because I had to describe this movie to someone earlier today. And I described it as, dude, do, do you love the Goonies? Do you remember Monster Squad? We used to watch that when we were kids. Imagine this, but like, like as a horror movie, you know, like, dude, it's, it's awesome. It's got like a synth soundtrack. That's pretty much exactly how I described it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a, a bad selling point on it. Cause I, I don't think you're wrong. Um, interestingly enough, a uh, previous guest on the show, Drew, uh, who I'm working on the kids on bikes podcast with, uh, he messaged me about this movie about a week ago. Um, mm. And he was like, Oh, it's the burbs except for done as kids on bikes. 
And the the reason he said that to me is because we were just talking about the Burbs a couple of weeks ago because it was picked for the show. We still haven't recorded the episode yet, but I just rewatched the Burbs and he and I were talking about it's not a great movie, but it would have been better if it had been done as a kids on bikes movie. And then voila, here's Summer of 84, which is kind of that. So if you have not seen the Burbs, um, watch this one instead. <laughs> so I, <laughs> why this movie as your choice? Why, why pick this movie out of all of the movies out there? It's so tropey. It's how do I say this? The best thing about it some of the best things about it are some of the worst things about it. And I've told people I have such a love hate relationship with this movie. And uh, especially the ending is the most love hate I have with any horror movie. I just, if anybody has seen this movie, I will go on and on about it, about the ending. We, we are going to definitely get into the ending. I want to save that for a little later, but I can tell you both of the critical reviews I pulled talk about the ending and it's like, okay, we got to, we got to leave the ending for closer to the end of the Say, show. We got to leave the ending for the ending. Just <laughs> right. Like. So what is your history with this movie? When, when did you see it? Cause you've, you've mentioned seeing, uh, you've mentioned seeing some, some movies at, a, at an inappropriately young age. This only came out a few years ago, so you couldn't have been that young when you first saw it. But uh, what's your history with this one? I actually rented this movie from a local movie shop, like a uh, local movie rental place called Family Video. Oh, nice. Um, but I say it was a 99 cent rental. I rented it. I hated it. I put it back. And then I was like, damn it. I want to watch it again. It was good. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and you just mentioned to me uh, last night that you kind of wish you had uh, bought this one. Say so it was $4 and I never bought it because I was like, mm, I don't know. I'm, I want to watch it one more time. And I think I've watched it like eight times on Shutter since then. Uh, I don't know <laughs> if I want to spend $4 on it, you know? <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah. So I, you you asked me before we started to record what I thought of it. And I told you we got to save that for recording. I, I liked it. I liked it. Uh, I don't think it's a brilliant film by any means. I do think your your Goonies comparison is is quite on on you know on the right track. It is definitely a kids on bikes movie. Uh, in fact, the the first shot really of the movie is a kid on a bike you know, doing his paper route and say, gotta have the paper route. Right. Right. But how uh, are we going to know it's in the eighties if it doesn't have a paper route? Well, and that's what I was just about to say is personally, I found the, the setting kind of interesting because setting it in the eighties, the kids don't have cell phones. They haven't been lost to video games and that kind of technology yet. Uh, they have, you know, walkie talkies, which let's be honest, never work as well as they do in the movies. Um, there's even a, a joke in there about how they, that one sucked. So they upgraded, but it's like, no, even your upgraded ones would not work as well as you guys are claiming they do. Oh yeah. They suck. <laughs> but unlike uh, so many other things that come out nowadays that are set in the eighties, I, I didn't feel like they leaned that hard into the eighties setting. Like they, they could have exploited it a lot. Lot more than they did. I mean, God knows that Stranger Things certainly has and, and, and other projects. Uh, and I, I didn't feel like this leaned into that as hard. I felt like they said it in 84, but they were more focused on the setting of the suburbs than the setting of the year. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that. Just because like Stranger Things, it's like, oh, yeah, it's the 80s. Reagan, Reaganomics, uh, <laughs> Purple. Uh, other things from the eighties. <laughs> they they do mention the Cold War. There is a news story playing, and the dad makes a comment about how the Cold War is never going to end. There is a reference to AIDS, uh, which honestly shouldn't be there. It's a little anachronistic because AIDS wasn't as much in public culture uh, in eighty four. You know, but but it deals. What I, what I liked is the, you know it it really played loose with the eighties setting, but for a horror movie because it is classified as a horror movie, it played a lot with personal stories of the characters. So you have a divorce going on and seeing that from the point of view of one of the characters, you have a, I, I can't tell if it was just dysfunctional or an abusive household. You know, you see that from the perspective of one of the kids and I, most kids on bikes type stories, maybe you get one set of parents and, and you kind of only have one set of parents in this movie, but you do see some of the other kids' parents, or or at least mm -hmm. hear about them. You know, you 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 hear about Eats' parents fighting. You know, you mm -hmm. you see Woody's mom having this emotional breakdown moment, which I still honestly am not really sure what was going on in that scene because there's there's that's, uh, uh, that's in my notes. 
is what is up with Woody's mom? Because I've always wondered that. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a comment made later in the movie about her having to pull like a 36 hour shift at the hospital or something like that. So that's what I assume was going on was she had gotten home from an extremely long shift uh, and and was having a breakdown in that scene. Mm-hmm. But it's it, that that scene to me was still important because it gave us some background on Woody and because it, it gave him motivation to have not shown up at the main character's house, which which is was important to the story that he didn't show up. But the, the parents are kind of there. There is still a reference to Reagan. There's a, a, a yard sign, you know, pushing Reagan. But for the most part, I didn't feel like they exploited that 80s setting. No, they really didn't, like, comparatively, you know? I mean, I guess it's just because, like, well, the new mass, it, it feels like there is a big resurgence in the 1980s lately. Of course. Well, like, the, the thing I'm always thinking of is I don't know anyone Nobody I knew grew up with Thundercats or Masters of the Universe, (laughs) except for one person. I had a cousin who was obsessed with He-Man, not Masters of the Universe, just (laughs) He-Man. Just the one character? The one, just, just, because I I mean, to be honest, tell, ask me to name more than two characters of Masters of the Universe, He-Man and Skeletor. I can't. I can't. I'm sorry. I cannot name them. But that's the difference between someone in their 20s and someone who was around, you know, I mean, I was I was nine in the summer of 84. So like, ask me to name, you know, Masters of the Universe characters. Oh, I can I can list them off, you know, <laughs> like it feels like I've seen more about them in the last two years than in the last 10, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and I think that's part of why like Stranger Things leans harder into it because it's trying to get those geek references. You know, that's that's a lot of what Stranger Things builds part of its world on is those references that that we get. So, you know, they they make Star Wars references and and He-Man references and that kind of stuff because those of us who are nostalgic for the movies that it's emulating remember those things. And I I don't think that's a bad thing. I honestly think they could have leaned harder into the 80s setting for this film. Oh yeah, they, they really could have. Before we get too far, because I, I started getting into actual you know movie discussion, let's talk a little bit about what the critics said about this. It sits at 72% at Rotten Tomatoes. Its audience score is a 67%, which means the critics liked it more than the audience tends to. It only sits at 57% at Metacritic. And the, the positive review comes from Alan Shurstel of The Village Voice, who wrote, Summer of 84 might seem normal and routine at first. Another it ride on the Stranger Things cycle. Back to the childhood of white boys entranced with George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and John Carpenter. I personally, you know, fit in that category. Um, but by the end, the craziest shit has happened persuasively with both memorable style and some emotional power. At first, it seems most concerned with showcasing vintage toy collections and putting ribald pop culture talk into the mouths of kids. Weep for the line about butt-fucking Wookiees. But once Summer of 84 kicks in, it kicks hard, and in its darkest moments, I was hoping the filmmakers had sprung on us a dream sequence fake-out, perhaps in honor of Brian De Palma. And so that kind of alluding to the end there, which we'll we'll definitely get to later. Mm-hmm. But I, I didn't see so much about the vintage toy collections. I definitely saw the rival. I mean, they they make these boys feel kind of real with their horniness. I, I wish I couldn't relate, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. When I was rewatching it, um, Eaton, I was like, oh my god, that's one of my friends from high school. That that is exactly him. Like the line about butt fucking Wookiees, that that sounds like something he would say. <laughs> this that that that's it stuck out to me. He's the <laughs> yeah, and the, how realistic the relationship feels because man, teenage boys curse a lot, yep. like a lot, a lot. Uh, my parents talk about how much I curse and all that, and I, it's funny because I curse the least out of all of my friends, and I'm an absolute Bulgarian. It's not even <laughs> funny. <laughs> All right. On the negative side, um, Brian Tallarico from RogerEbert.com. I did not do that intentionally. That was not trying to force in a Roger Ebert reference, but there were only three negative reviews and two of them were from RogerEbert.com. So anyway, Brian Tallarico says, as you might imagine with that title, this is a nostalgia heavy thriller that makes Stranger Things look downright subtle in the way it uses its time period. Ewoks, Gremlins, Reeboks. 
it's the Goldbergs of movies about serial killers. And if the lazy writing isn't bugging you, the truly lackluster performances will get the job done. There's no point in piling on the movie. So I'll just say this is a movie about four kids who become convinced their neighbor is a serial killer that only reminds you of superior films and TV shows. But summer of 84 really becomes something loathsome in its final act as it moves to an ending it hasn't really earned at all. You'll have to really miss the mid 80s to make it through it. And again, reference to the end, we'll get to uh, a little later. Dude, the Ewoks and the Gremlins were the same scene. Yeah, that's I was that's exactly what I was thinking. When I was watching, I was like, that's a little bit heavy handed. But that is by far the most heavy handed reference to, you know, the 80s that I could think. I, I've got that in my notes is that the Ewoks and Gremlins is the most, you know, blunt representation of. Oh, yeah. By the way, this is 1984. That's right. Easily. That's one scene. <laughs> yeah and the reebok the reebok was just a, a sweatshirt like a, a hoodie that he was wearing i did that, that, I, I, don't I don't know remember the word reebok being said you know it isn't it's on uh, uh davy's uh hoodie and i only reason i really paid attention to that is because in the first scene that he's wearing it like half of it is covered so it just looked like he was wearing a, a hoodie that said re on one side and i was like re what is yeah. re <laughs> I don't I don't know that I would say the writing is lazy. This this is uh, you know, I made the comment earlier it's very much the burbs if you're familiar with the burbs. It's there's parts of like Rear Window and um Suspiria in here. Uh it, it's not an original story. You know, this concept oh, yeah, no. has been done numerous times. The only part of the writing that really bothered me is because I knew this was kind of a kids on bikes akin to the Goonies. Uh, I had a little column in my notebook where I started writing down their names so that I could remember which character is which, you know, because you always have four or five kids uh, and, and you know, they have certain tropes that they fit into. And I just wanted to make sure I was calling them by the right names. And other than Davy, they take a very long time to give these other characters names on screen. In fact, it isn't until the police officer pulls them over when they're driving that you even get Eaton's name at all. Let's say I actually on imdb looked up faraway's name because i missed it because it's in like one line right when they're playing manhunt I, I look back and i'm like what is this kid's name like halfway through the movie i was like which one's faraway they, they <laughs> they've alluded to faraway several times oh it's the kid right there yeah so so your kids are are davy who's kind of the leader figure uh, he's our main character uh woody is I, I hate to do this, but he's the fat one. You know, that's that's the, one of the ref reviews I, I, I pulled. And I guess I didn't put it in there. One of the reviews I read talked about, you know, you have a fat kid because there's always a fat kid. Um, Faraday is the nerdy one. And then Eaton is the bad boy, uh, you know, wearing a leather jacket and his hair is kind of greasy. And when we finally see his home life, some of that makes sense uh, because you get the impression he doesn't stick around enough at home to grab a shower. Um, but you know, he, he's, he's kind of the bad boy. And then, cause you always have to have that extra tag along person as well. You've got the girl, the girl next door, literally, but the one that all of these horny boys are horny for, uh, and her name is Nikki. So they, those are the characters, which you've just heard us say more clearly than the film ever spells out. And that was my, my big issue with the writing for the film is give, let's get these characters some names, you know, let's get them in front of the audience sooner. So we know who we're cheering for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's really uh, I'm I'm going to be honest with you, dude. I didn't write it down. I don't know what the girl's name is. <laughs> I'm looking at my notes. I didn't write it down. <laughs> yeah, Nikki. Uh, Nikki. Yeah. Yeah. So she's I mean, and I think the dynamic between the boys, as I said earlier, I think they do a great job of really kind of making the boys feel connected like this feels like a group of friends you know they're looking at uh what, what was it uh american man's boudoir magazine it's a porno mag but i loved the title of it <laughs> but like i also think there's some rather clever writing in here like the fact that when we first meet davy that first shot he's on his uh paper route he's wearing an area 51 t-shirt and it's like, oh, so right from the get go, we are establishing that this kid is into kind of conspiracy theory type stuff, which it, he it eventually un unfolds that he is and it's an important part of his character. So they like they lay the foundation for that with the visuals in the first scene. I'm like, that's clever. That's that's well done. You know, there's several 
small comments that are made that help build the credibility of things later on. Like you have the little scene where uh, Davy is picking up the trash and talking with his dad. And so you establish that they've got a raccoon problem in this neighborhood that's knocking over the trash. And that's what Davy's having to clean up. And you establish that Davy's not allowed to touch the news camera as much as they call it a camcorder. That is a professional news camera, <laughs> <laughs> which, which lays little threads for later in the film. And I, I thought that was pretty well done, frankly. Uh, yeah, I think that the set design was really well done to well done too. if that, uh, that yeah. makes sense, because when you see Davy's room, he's got all those. It's not weekly world news, but it is weekly world news. I don't remember what it is, but all the all the headlines, you know, the tabloid journalism, all right. that, the, the, the weird. And I mean, that just says a lot about him being a conspiracy theorist, you know? Right. Which I also thought was really fascinating. The, the juxtaposition between the fact that his dad's a journalist. You know, mm-hmm. his his dad is in real news, and yet he's got this probably unhealthy obsession with tabloid news that he's got all these headlines. And it just made me – not that I didn't – I wasn't paying attention to the movie, but it made part of my brain kind of go off and wonder, so what's that conversation like when his dad comes and, you know, said, I need to have a conversation with you in his room and sees all these tabloids up on the wall? You know, what is that – how does that affect the father-son relationship? Which we don't see in the movie, but it made me wonder, like, would that have an impact considering the dad's a serious journalist? Yeah, no, that that – I I can really see that. Do you think, and and again, this isn't hinted at in the movie, but he's at that age where kids kind of start to rebel against their parents a little bit. Mm -hmm. You you get the impression, and in fact, there's a line Nikki says, because Nikki had been his babysitter when he was younger. Uh, Mm -hmm. Nikki makes a comment about having brought him his first, whatever you call it, the the son or whatever it is, uh, had had brought him his first tabloid and, and had no idea that it would turn into this. But do you think maybe some of that, conspiracy tabloid type stuff is an act of rebellion against his father. I could actually see that. Yeah. Um, I don't remember rebelling out against my dad very much, but <laughs> I, it was always little subtle things probably. Right. You know, like, like staying out to it's weird how, how my dad kind of dropped the moment. I turned 18. My dad was like, no, I trust you. It's fine. Whatever. I'm like, Hey dad, I'm going to be out until like three in the morning. He's like, you're 18, dude. It's, it's fine. Just, if you need a ride home, call me. And I'm like, damn it, dad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a rebel. <laughs> well, since my dad d- listens to the podcast, I didn't rebel against my dad in any way whatsoever. Our relationship was always perfect. And uh, no, it, really, I, I'm in the same boat where my relationship with my parents was exactly that same one. I was, I was a responsible, well-behaved teenager. So when I became an adult, there was never any odd transition. It was just you're an adult now yeah I, me- I remember one time me and my friends we were out in the woods messing with fireworks and gasoline nobody got hurt we were very responsible we all we we blew up quite a few antiques that we found but i came home and i'm reeking of gasoline and gunpowder and my dad's like you've been having a good time and i'm like no dad be mad at me damn it <laughs> <laughs> Gasoline and gunpowder. <laughs> we we were blowing up gifts. My friend's ex girlfriend got him. That's that's what we were doing. That's why that's why we were. I was so messed up because I they they were dating for like two weeks, so it wasn't like a big thing. But yeah, I was I was just absolutely reeking of it. And he's like, "Huh, you sound like, smell like you've been having fun." I'm like, no, "Dad, I am I am grown." <laughs> Hi, I'm Maddox Campbell, host of Break-A-Wish, the podcast where all your dreams come true, but with terrible, ironic consequences. Each episode, we take a magic wish. Then, my comedian guests and I try to come up with the perfect, balanced cost. We break the wish down from every angle. I think I'd rather, well, would I rather be spit on the piano? <laughs> Underwear excluded. <laughs> I was I was right. literally about to be like, okay, we haven't talked about underwear. You but haven't I feel talked like about underwear yet. Yeah. Why are your farts visible like a cartoon? I can't answer that That's question. That's the face of yes. <laughs> yeah. Could you use your weather powers to battle the meteorologists? No. Main part of the boot. Yeah. I'm not looking for anything that might surprise ruin my day. Yeah. Surprise ruin. If day. my day's gonna be ruined, I want to know about it. For more information, visit breakawish.ca or thesonarnetwork.com. What would you wish for?
the other thing, as I said earlier, you know, they kind of do add in these scenes to help build up the characters. Uh, so, you know, we see Davey interact with his parents. We see the scene we, we, we mentioned earlier with Woody, you know, taking care of his mom. Um, but, you know, the script doesn't really explain to us what is wrong with his mom. Again, I'm just making an assumption that she's overworked, you know, working these long shifts. We do see far too late in the movie, I think, Eaton uh, leaving the house while his parents are fighting and he has kind of a a jerk brother that he interacts with a little bit. We, we never see Faraday. <laughs> I said that that's another thing that threw me off is Faraday is by far the most horny of the boys. And I was like, man, if he, I, I expected them to show like when I first watched it, like he had like a really repressed and prim and proper and all that. It never shows that never shows that. And I'm wondering, man, is Faraday just weird? Cause like he is, <laughs> he he's, he's, he's a powder keg. I mean, he's about to explode, dude. Yeah. Well, there's always got to be one of them. I mean, yeah. And I and I love the other thing I I will say, and that that is a writing choice that they made. I love that as Davy and Nikki start to have a a real friendship, um, because her parents are getting divorced, and she just needs someone. She you know she she comes up to his room, and there's almost this hint that something might happen, and then it doesn't. Um, but as they start to develop this real friendship, he becomes less horny for her and he becomes less tolerant of the other boys being horny for her. And I was like, that's that's some interesting character progression to do, you know, that he he now f- doesn't just look at her as a piece of meat. He's, he sees her as, you know, the girl next door whose parents she's going through a hard time and let's stop lusting after her like that. Yeah, no, I, I, I see that, too. Um, I, I really can't say that. Um, the whole stop it, guy. It feels like they should have given him more hell about that, about him being, you know, the 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 protective, not seeing a piece of meat. Because I'm not gonna lie, every time me or one of my friends got a girl they they liked or they were serious about, we gave them nine kinds of hell about it. They gave me <laughs> nine kinds of hell about it. Interesting. Okay, that's that's not the dynamic dynamic that I uh, experienced, but that's uh, that that's that's interesting. That that would have been kind of fun to watch play out as well. I I think they were all so focused on being horny that they just respected the fact that hey, he had gotten a girl to talk to him. So <laughs> that, that's that is true. That is true. <laughs> I'm from I'm from such a small town that I think literally every time one of us met a girl, one of us would go, "Oh, that's my cousin." <laughs> Oh, that's awkward. <laughs> that is one time it was his sister. Um, I remember that was really awkward because like it, it was his younger sister. And oh, it was it was bad. <laughs> oh, it was bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so the the other on the other side, so we have the boys on one side. And, and as the reviews kind of talked about, they suspect that their neighbor is actually a serial killer. So this is so this is Mackie, office officer Mackie, because he's also a police officer. And I don't know if it was, you know, the, what Tallarico was calling lazy writing, or whether it was just me or or what. But I spent most of the movie feeling like he wasn't guilty, and like there was going to be this nice twist where it turned out that he was not, he was a good guy, and the boys were just kind of chasing the wrong thing. They didn't. There was only one moment in the movie earlier on that really made me think he was guilty. And that was when he was sitting in his lawn chair, watching the kids playing stickball or whatever in the street. And he offers them a bunch of freezy pops. And it was like, that's kind of weird. Cause you're just a single guy living in this house with no kids around of your own. And you're watching the neighbor's kids and you're giving them treats. And yeah, now there's something suspicious about this. Yeah, no, that uh, same thing. I, I wanted Mackie to not be guilty because of that yeah. scene. I was like, I was like, man, no, it should be like, not going to spoilers, but the, the, oh, you can go into spoilers. End. You can absolutely, okay, cool, well, cool. It, oh, you want to go to the end? Like, yeah, let's hold no, off. No, on no, the not, end the, just... not the end. And the, the, okay. the reveal. Yes. Cause we already, we've already stated Mackie is the killer. Yes. Mackie is the killer. Uh, despite the fact that the movie doesn't make you feel like he's going to be for a lot of the movie. Yeah, I really, wanted like that that room back there i wanted it to be something not illegal but something incredibly embarrassing or not even like embarrassing in like a like a funny way like some like something like you know bunch of pictures of like his family or something you wanted it to be a sex dungeon that the horny boys found that's what you damn it yes i've been caught (laughs) (laughs) i wanted it to be a sex dungeon and like 
that would have been so funny. And it would have been a great twist if like some other adult that had like no suspicion had been the killer. That would have been good. But I honestly, at two different points, because again, I really didn't think Mackie was going to be the killer. There was one point that I was wondering if Nikki wasn't going to turn out to be the killer because she just kept kind of appearing out of nowhere. And there was even a point where I wondered if Faraday was going to be the killer because, as you said, the repression and just kind of like just yeah. <laughs> something there didn't connect. <laughs> the thing that actually sticks with me is i was like oh it was mostly young boys and stuff what if it was nikki's dad what if like nikki was going over seducing young boys come over here going all the way to this town you know come over all the way here no trace not trace that that's something i thought would have been neat but no it was it was mackie it was mackie Kind of disappointing, but yeah, I mean, I like I wanted them to to be wrong about him and then he helps save them from the real killer or something like, like that, that, that it just I didn't buy into it. And I felt like I felt like the actor's performance was pretty good at just playing a, a genuinely nice guy. I, I like he didn't really put anything like any malicious undertones to it. He just was playing him as an earnestly nice guy. And the only the, the you have that one scene where he's watching the kids in the street. And then the the scene where, where it's, oh, okay, it's going to be obvious that he's the killer is when he stops by Davy's house after that wonderful scene where Davy's dad drags all of the boys across the street to tell him what they've done and to apologize for going through his trash. Uh, Davy's dad played by Jason Gray Stanford from Monk fame, for those who like Monk. Him stopping by Davy's house to just kind of go, hey, are we okay? Are we okay? Sorry you got grounded. I'll see what I can do about it. And and Davy going, you said he was your nephew that was in your house. Can you call him? And then finding out he had called his own number. And it was like, okay, that's that's the moment where it clicked. Okay, yeah, he's guilty. But up until that point, I just didn't I didn't feel anything other than just kind of liking the character. I say he's very well. Another thing, and this might just be me, but when Mackie is first shown on camera and immediately when I you know got a better look at him, I thought it was Sean Astin. And I was like, oh, they got <laughs> Sean Astin because Goonies. And then so I don't know why, but a part of me is just like, man, he looks like he's kind of like, like kind of looks like Sean Astin. Is that intentional? It just sticks with me because Sean Astin can't play a bad person. Oh, it's but he physically has. impossible. No, he, he has, has, but he's always done it so good. Yeah. There's a movie called Borderland where he plays a cannibal. He does it so well. Oh, that's going to pair up really nicely with an upcoming uh, uh, have not seen this. I'm going to have to check that out. I say he does. A, he does such a good job. I was like, I, no, he's not a cannibal. He's he's Sean Astin. <laughs> he's Samwise Gamgee. Samwise doesn't eat people. I I think sh- <laughs> potato. Um, I I think <laughs> Sean Astin would have. I, I think immediately if it had been Sean Astin, it would have been like, yes, that's him. Because there's no big names. I mean, Jason Jason Gray Stanford is really the kind of the biggest name in this cast. The, it really is a cast of unknown actors, and I think that works to its charm. You know, I I think the fact that you're not distracted by who's playing what part is is really nice. I mean, these kids feel like a genuine group of friends, and it's not like, oh, hey, that's that kid. I mean, then Stranger Things kind of started out the same way, and now it's like, oh, look, it's Finn Wolfhart. You know, it's uh, he he seems to have really kind of picked up and and is doing doing a lot more. But yeah, I mean, I I I, I think yes, yeah, Samwise Gamgee showing up on the street would have been like, well, there's definitely something suspicious about this. <laughs> <laughs> no one looks at Samwise Gamgee cop and thinks innocent. That's just how it is. <laughs> well, and not to mention him appearing, you know, in season two of Stranger Things. That that That's also true. made this kind That's of true. awkward. Although I, you know, I mean, that one review kind of said this was trying to capitalize on what made Stranger Things, and there's there's two different creatures completely. You know, it's yeah. No, I d- I don't see the I don't see as many similarities. Uh, have you seen the Babysitter, which I actually think has Eaton's actor in it? I have not seen it. I know it's on it's on Netflix, I think. Uh, but yeah, no, I haven't seen it. First one's pretty good. Second one's really, really, really bad. But so typical uh, horror progression. <laughs> I say it's it's insanely bad. I didn't even think they were made by the same people. How different it is. But yeah, it's it's kind of it feels more like it's capitalizing off of Stranger Things, and it doesn't even take place in the eighties. It's just got that whole eighties vibe in it. 
if that makes right. sense. I mean, it's Netflix too. So it feels more like it's trying to bank off Stranger Things, but I think that might have something to do with the fact that it's also owned by Netflix. That's just might just be me though. Yeah, that would make sense. I, I think part of the reason I didn't feel like it leaned as heavily into to the 80s setting is coming off the heels of having just recently watched some of the Fear Street movies. Uh, and the first one is set mm. in, you know, 90s and is like, let's see how many 90s needle drops we can fit into this movie. And it's a great pick of music, but it's like it's it leans hard into its 90s setting as opposed to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can I can see that. I've only I only watched the first two. And my uh, brother, Kellison, watched the third one mm. and I got 10 bucks because I was like at the end of the second one, I was like, hey, <laughs> bet you 10 bucks. Spoiler. And then I was right. So <laughs> I still have not watched the third one yet. So I yeah. I, I, I ran out of time as far as because like they're not they're They're this weird genre of movie that I've fallen into lately, which is where I sit and I watch it and I go, who is this made for? Because exactly. the story is not sophisticated, so it seems like it's made for a younger audience, but then you've got this level of gore and profanity and content. Heck, the second one has pretty pretty sexual content in it that's like, that's not made for a younger audience, so where, who who was this made for? And I, they're definitely not appropriate for my 12-year-old son, so I have to watch them when he's around. Oh, yeah, around. definitely. <laughs> um, I, I read the Fear Street books when I was a kid. Uh, ask me to summarize one of them. I can't, but I remember I read them a lot. <laughs> And it's one of those things where my my uh, my brother was watching it and I was like, oh, yeah, uh, uh, Fear Street. Huh? I used to read these books when I was a kid and then just sex scene on a table. Oh, yeah, I know that the, the, these ain't the same. These ain't the same. These are not the same, uh, same, same kind of setting. Wow. Well, and it was it, in the first one. It was the level of gore uh especially mm. one of the and we're not going to spoil it for for listeners but especially one of the deaths towards the end of the movie was pretty gory <laughs> uh and then the second one yeah sex scene on the table and it was like okay this definitely is not right for a 12 year old to be watching so mm -mm. I'll, I'll i'll let him watch uh the suicide squad before i'll let him watch those movies <laughs> <laughs> i mean king shark just balances it all out though it balances it out. I mean, he does. He does. Uh, okay. So a couple of lines of dialogue, getting back to the movie we're actually discussing uh, um, a couple of lines of dialogue that oh, stood, <laughs> stood out to me. I, I loved uh, um, Davy's dad says, that's why they invented curtains. You know, when they're talking about not having any idea that their next door neighbors were having marital problems and are now on the verge of a divorce. And, you know, her, the mom says, I had no idea that was going on. The dad goes, that's why they invented curtains. You know, this idea of you shouldn't be sticking your business, your nose in other people's business, which is kind of the central idea of this movie. That's exactly what he's doing is is going mm -hmm. and sticking his nose in somebody else's business. No, for a good cause. <laughs> for a great cause. Hashtag NSA bless up. But um oh, God. <laughs> Send your hate email too. No. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to let the uh, NSA agent listening to this know. I, I respect y'all. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and the other line that really stood out to me was uh, uh, Mackie's line when he's having that confrontation, when the dad has drugged the boys across the street uh, to apologize to him and, and inform him that they've been spying on him and all that kind of stuff. Which, again, the dad had the greatest of intentions. He's trying to, to teach his son to be a good person. He just doesn't know and we as the audience at that point don't know that that it's the mm -hmm. killer um but mackie's response was i remember what it's like to be a boy during the summer it's hard to pass up an adventure and i was like man if those two sentences don't capture the kids on bikes movies as a whole i don't know what does <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah yes i had one more i can't die tonight man my mom needs me that got me <laughs> that right. There are two lines at the ending. I'm going to wait till we're talking about the ending, but there's well, one line at the ending that just... I think that opens the door for us to go ahead and talk about the ending. I think we can go ahead and get into it because the, the ending, this movie ends, like it ends about where you'd expect it to, to end uh with with one serious piece unresolved and that's where's mackie okay you know everybody we've, the boys have finally proven he's the killer the the police are looking for him can't find him fade to black okay they're leaving it open for a sequel nope it continues 
and Mackie ends up mm-hmm. abducting Davy and Woody and dragging them out to an island uh, where he basically wants to stalk them. He wants to hunt them. He wants to pursue them. And manhunt manhunt right now we haven't talked about that but throughout the first part of this movie there was this reoccurring thing that these teenagers are playing a game called manhunt that I've never heard of before in my life it's hide and seek mm-hmm. they, but they call it manhunt and 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 what I thought when I watched this scene and I'm watching this unfold and it's like he's chasing them and I was like oh it's manhunt and then I went well, Davey's gotten caught in every game of Manhunt we've watched. He's terrible at this game. He's so screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Another, my, probably my biggest gripe with this movie is how the hell did he get them to the island? And at the end, when he drives off, where the hell is he going? He's in a car. It's an island. What? Well, well, Woody does say that there's a, a, a road to it. They just had to find the road and then and then they could walk. So it's, it's not an isolated island. It, it apparently does have a road going to it, I guess. Because mm-hmm. Woody does say that, but to make this this ending even more crazy is even after Woody says that, man, I can't I can't die tonight, man. My mom needs me. He kills Woody, kills Woody, and I was like, no, don't kill Woody. His mom needs him, and I like him. He's one of my favorite characters. I said, kill Faraday. Right, right. Yeah, who cares about Faraday? Kill Eden. I mean, he's just he's going to be end up in juvie soon anyway. I say, I mean, just it's just just a matter of time, right? Hell, kill Nikki. You know, she's going off to college. She save save her some trouble and heartbreak and other people's heartbreaks. But no, no, he kills Woody, but then he doesn't kill Davy in the and weirdest move. That that is the line that sticks with me the most out of this entire film is when he's got the knife up against his head and he's telling him you're going to spend your life looking over your shoulder wondering when i'm going to get you and one day you'll be right and that just sent chills up my spine it's probably the actor does a really good job because it's it's kind of scary how he says it oh it was frightening the movie is not scary that was a frightening scene yeah, I mean that's that's that, that was my note was me. was Mackie wants him to live in terror. That's pretty frightening. Like that's conceptually the most scary thing this movie has is like I'm still going to be out there. The bad guy did not get captured. He did not die. He is going to be out there and you are going to live in terror the rest of your life. And then and I loved personally, I loved that they then transitioned to him doing his bike route a second time but he is traumatized from the events of this movie that what was originally this pristine drive through ride through suburbia in the beginning of the movie. And now everywhere he looks, there's not only a reminder of that night's events, but he has now become cynical about the world in what he sees that he sees the, you know, he, he drove past Eaton's house at the beginning and the older brother who's a jerk flipped him off, but now he's driving past it and he sees, you know, it being kind of ramshackle and them dragging stuff out from inside. Like, I still don't really know what that's about. Like, did they that's fight the treehouse? So- oh, that's the treehouse. That's that's, and I've got that in my notes. Is that symbolism? Is that the yes. death of the friendship? Is that there? Is that there? It's, it's the death of childhood. Relationship? It's, their, it's not the- that's what I've got. The death of their youth. That's that's it. It's gone. Okay, I missed it's- that. That was the treehouse. Yeah, that would be the death of their childhood, which is very aligned with what's going on through the rest of that bike ride. And I just I love that. It's you know just and the fact that they don't even like he looks at them and. They look at him, but there's no nothing. There's not a wave. There's not a nod. There's no closure. It's well, just because Faraday and Eaton turned their back on him. Exactly. Exactly. I just, you know, you know the, they, the friend that he had stick by his side was Woody and he's dead. And I say I, I, that exactly just they they screwed up. They turned and I kind of wish they had elaborated on like if they had any survivor's guilt or anything like that. But I, I do kind of like the fact that it's just that solemn moment, the destroyed treehouse. Yeah. Okay. That, That's that makes a lot more sense. Yeah. The first time I saw this movie, I had never seen it before. So I had heard about it, as I said, but uh, I had not watched it. So I had not caught that. Okay. Yeah. So that is uh, that that is definitely aligns with that bike ride being kind of the ruined childhood. Yeah. <laughs> I say, yeah. Symbolism. So just to, to kind of review, 
the the positive review said they were hoping the filmmakers had sprung a dream sequence for the ending. The negative review said they they feel like it's an ending that isn't really earned at all. Personally, I dug the ending. I thought I thought it was a bit of a sick and twisted way to end the movie with your primary character, you know, uh, traumatized for the rest of his life. But I liked it. I that's another thing. I love and hate the ending. I love the ending. I wish Woody had survived. You could have killed Nikki. You could have killed Faraway, Faraday. You could have killed Eaton. You could have killed Davy. Yeah. I wanted Woody to live. Woody did nothing wrong. Woody was the Woody was the kind of friend you always want to have by your side. And I guess that makes it more impactful because I I wouldn't have minded if it had been anyone else. Yeah. But it was Woody, and Woody was Woody was the best friend you need. And yeah, oh God, mm. yeah, yeah. I mean, no, that I mean, as I said, that that definitely got an emotional response from me. I like that was don't kill Woody. No, that's not okay. Uh, you know, of, of all the characters in this movie, that's the one you're going to kill. No, and then and then get away with it. Yeah, no, you know, it's... it. I I find it just a, you know because as I said, this movie's not original. It's not unique. It is it is all of those other movies I listed before. But that ending is that ending that, is something new. I did not see that ending coming. It, it, I hated the fact that they killed Woody, but it really did ramp it up to a whole nother, you know, tier for me is that ending that, that had some impact. Yeah. Well, and, and again, kind of those little nods, like I had missed this I, when I was reading through the reviews and, and comments and stuff to prepare for the show. When that one scene that I talked about before, where Mackie comes over and is and when he comes in the house after he's been told, you don't need to come in, you don't need to come in. And he comes in and he looks around and he goes, man, I haven't been in here since you were a toddler. I helped I helped your dad put some stuff up in the attic. And then that's where he's hiding. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's clever. Like that I is totally, really clever. I missed that one. I, I caught I, other I ones, but one. I missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that, I mean, I, I don't, I don't agree with lazy script. I don't think it's not the most original, but I enjoyed it. So, all right. What have we not talked about that you want to make sure we get in? The fact that I see it more as a, as, as I got more like of a monster squad vibe than I did a Goonies vibe from it. I think that's fair. I mean, monster squad is more of a suburban type film, but like I was just, I got in my notes. Peeping Tom, Monster Squad, <laughs> looking at porn, Monster Squad, Treehouse, Monster Squad. It just it was like exact scenes. Of course, I watched Monster Squad nonstop when I was a kid and I didn't watch the Goonies very much when I was a kid. So I guess that might be another reason why it sticks out to me. Well, I'm telling you, watch the burbs. Watch know, the burbs. Yeah, because it is the 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 layout of the plot is the burbs. I mean, down to them burying the radio when they're digging in the garden. That that is a a, a bit from the burbs. You know, the 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 parents not believe, or in this in that case, it was other people not believing, and then suddenly, yeah. I mean, it's it's this. Drew was right. This is the burbs as a kids on my bikes movie. So. All right, yeah. let's get into the end game here. We've got a couple of games before we're done. First up, the algorithm says this is a list of various movies that the algorithm says you will like because you like this movie. Um, it is kind of a lightning round of your responses. You like these movies, you don't like these movies, you don't know them, you don't see how they're connected, that kind of stuff. This is a very horror uh, in heavy list. Like I was surprised. I was surprised the Burbs didn't come up on this or or Rear Window or that kind of stuff. No, it's horror movies for the most part. First up, we have Turbo Kid. Turbo Kid. I okay. I've seen that. I can't remember anything about it. It really hasn't because I've seen it, but I can't. I can't tell you a thing about it. I think it's one of those ones that I watched at like three in the morning. It's on my recently watched on Netflix. I think, and <laughs> I, I've. I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> it's the it's the same directors, so that that's part of what it is. Mm, gotcha. All right, Haunt, Haunt, Haunt. Man, uh, I've I've. Can think of like three things with the name haunt in them. Uh, what's this one is um, on Halloween, a group of friends encounter an extreme haunted house that promises to feed their on their darkest fears. Oh, that is such a good. The one with the clowns. Yes, that was filmed like 30 minutes away from me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember I was watching it and I was like, oh, this takes place in carbon. What? <laughs> that was filmed like 30 minutes away. But one of the guys that's in it, the uh, the the ghost the ghoul or whatever the one with the white sheet he lived in like a town 15 minutes from me oh so i don't yeah. know the movie so okay i say it's it's insanely good okay <laughs> mayhem 
Uh, that the one with Glenn from The Walking Dead? Yes, it is. Uh, cool concept. Haven't watched it yet. I I, it I yet. just heard about it within the last week, so it kind of is funny to me that it comes up on this list. So, uh, Super Dark Times. That is phenomenal movie. It's literally the other side of the same coin as this one. Yeah, I I love that movie, but it's it's way more serious. But it's it's such a good film. Yeah, agreed. Okay, The Final Girls. Final Girls. I've never seen that one. I've I've seen Final Girl, but I've never seen Final Gr- or the Final Girls. Never yeah. never heard of it. It's um it got Adam Devine and Malin Ackerman, Thomas Middleditch. Uh, it's it, the idea is this uh, uh, woman loses her mother, who's a famous screen scream queen, and then finds herself pulled into her mom's most famous movie. So it's got to be like a horror comedy, I guess. I, I don't know much about it other than that. I had heard about it before, but uh, okay. Um, the Babysitter. Uh, again, loved the first one, hated the second one. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lizzie. Lizzie. Um, it's, a, it's a tale about Lizzie Borden, I'm pretty sure. It sounded yeah. familiar, but just not, not clicking with me. Okay. Victor Crowley. Uh heard of the person never never seen the never seen the movie okay see i thought i feel like i think some of the reasons some of these are a little more obscure is because of like as you said you you watched it on shutter uh and i think that's part of where it's pulling some of these from uh my friend Dahmer. uh love the book the movie is hollywooded up i guess if that makes sense okay yeah absolutely makes sense because like in in the book it's it's a lot more subtle it's like oh this guy's definitely got some mental problems um <laughs> you know in the in the book like there's a one panel where his brother is in it because it's a comic book and he says i didn't know his brother i'm not going to drag him into this i'm not going to say things that i didn't know and in the movie he's actually like you know a bit a lot more of an important part and it he wasn't it just because uh, <laughs> I, I like the fact that the guy guy does this is what i knew this is this is just what i knew this is this is it but yeah the the book is really good movie's okay okay and lastly open 24 hours never heard of it yeah me neither uh a former mental patient lands the graveyard shift at a gas station where isolation triggers her condition bringing gruesome results yeah, no, never heard of it. Might be, might be fun. Might be yeah. a fun watch. But <laughs> all right, uh, we always close with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions. This going to go a little different this time. This is is kind of know your serial killers because there are quite a few references in Summer of '84 uh, referencing other existing serial killers since it's using serial killers. So we'll see how well you know that. This may be a dismal failure. We'll see. Oh, it probably will be. All right, number one, the car Mackie moves from storage is a VW Beetle, which is the same model car used by what famous serial killer? A, Jeffrey Dahmer, B, John Wayne Gacy, C, Ted Bundy, or D, the Golden State Killer? I want to say John Wayne Gacy. No, that was Ted Bundy. Mm, I just, I think John Wayne Gacy, I think clown, clown car. Right. There well, we go. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot argue with your logic there. <laughs> All right. uh, Number two, the boys theorize that Mackie uses his job as a police officer to cover his tracks and misdirect the police force. What famous serial killer had a similar police background? A, Jeffrey Dahmer, B, John Wayne Gacy, C, Ed Kemper, or D, the Golden State Killer? Uh, Golden State Killer, I think. That is correct. All right, number three, Mackie's M.O. as a killer is to abduct the boys, photograph them, and then murder them. This is similar in style as what other famous serial killer? A, Jeffrey Dahmer, B, John Wayne Gacy, C, Ed Kemper, or D, Zodiac? Uh, John Wayne Gacy, I think. Yep, that's absolutely right. Uh, and the last one, not all of the serial killer references were focused on Mackie. Even innocent nerdling Faraday gets a murderous reference with glasses that resemble the eyewear of what famous serial killer? A. Jeffrey Dahmer, B. Ed Gain, C. Ed Kemper, or D. Zodiac? Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer. Yep. See? Three out of four? That's not bad. That's better than I know my serial killers. So, <laughs> uh, not that I have boasting rights now, I guess. <laughs> yeah, but. Do you really want to go around bragging that? I, I don't know. True crime podcasts are a major hit. That's so. a true crime podcast. <laughs> if I could, I could probably have four times the listenership if I was a true crime podcast, but I like sleeping at night. So <laughs> uh, speaking of podcasts, uh, wh- wh- where can people find you? What do you want to promote? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nazaria Audio. 
I run the, I guess I run edit. I don't know. I do damn near everything <laughs> uh, for the Nazaria audio drama and audio drama of a uh, D&D game in a homebrew setting of my creation. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's mostly character focused, but it has some lore. If you like character focused series, I think you'll like it. Maybe check it out. It's uh, I'm a little proud of it. <laughs> and I think you should be. See, season one is already out. Season two will be coming soon, I guess we should say. So, yes, I mean, I'm I'm working on the first episode of season two. Just got all the lines two days ago. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. And yeah. because I, I know at least one person who will listen if you if you give us a little nug bar. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I have to like prep for like 30 minutes. Oh, OK. Well, never mind. Nug-ba. All right. Not- there we go. <laughs> <Nug-ba>. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you so much for picking this film. This was a great one. Uh, as I said, it's been on my radar. Just hadn't hadn't watched it. So I'm I'm and I'm glad I did. I enjoyed it. I think it's a lot better movie than than the reviews gave it, and uh, I enjoyed it. So thank you for coming on. Thank you for talking about it. Hey, no problem, man. I, I had a great time. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about Summer of 84, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Townhess, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, on Twitter and Letterboxd, or the show at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook where I Have Not Seen This podcast, or email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. We're standing in the very creek bed where David fought Goliath. If I'm David, I'm going to get one chance for a kill shot right between the eyes. You hit him the uterus, Don. I am so sorry, Carol. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Soup or Soup Can, for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other. Mm